You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Good evening. It's so wonderful to be here live from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. And tonight's topic is going to be Akshanut. Akshanut means stubbornness. So, like every trait we talk about, we first have to realize that every trait can be used for good and every trait can be used for bad. Last week we spoke about anger. And if you recall, the Rambam goes to an extreme with anger. Always we need to have the middle road, the, the golden path of not being an extremist. Judaism is not about extremism. If you see extremism in Judaism, it's not. It's not Judaism. There's no extreme. It's balanced. It's the golden path. That's what Judaism is all about. So with anger, though, the Rambam teaches us you go to the extreme and you become an extremist to remove and eradicate anger because there's very few times that anger is necessary, warranted, valuable in life. And those few times can be counted probably on a hand. But very rarely is anger a useful tool to build, to grow, to connect. Anger is a very selfish thing. I am unhappy about something. So today we're going to talk about a different I that gets in the way. And that's that I am always right. My way is always the right way. It's the my way or the highway attitude that hurts us. And when we talk about stubbornness, it's something that we need to take into consideration that it's not a good trait. But we find times where stubbornness is so crucial and is so important for our growth, for our success. So we're going to talk about that throughout tonight's class. So what are some of the positives? What are some of the positives that you can think of when it comes to stubbornness? Look at a baby. A baby needs to be stubborn because when they're starting to learn how to walk, if they fall down and they're like, okay, I failed at that, I'm done, they'll never walk again. But because a child has that stubbornness, it keeps on pushing, keeps on trying, and that's how it succeeds. In fact, when the Torah talks about the righteous, a tzaddik, it says, Sheva yipol tzaddik vikam. A righteous person falls seven times and gets back up. So it's part of being a tzaddik is you're going to fall. And you're going to need to be stubborn and get up again. Now, we mentioned this previously, recently. Why is it seven? Seven is always the number of the natural state of things. Things in their natural state are seven. The world was created in seven days. A bride circles her husband seven times. Why? Because these are two halves of a soul that are returning to their natural state. Seven is the number of the natural state of things. Above nature is eight. Why does King Solomon in Proverbs say, Sheva yipol tzaddik vikam, a righteous person will fall seven times. It's hinting to us here that the natural state of someone who's a righteous person is that they fall, but they don't only fall they get up again. Your, your natural habitat of a growing person is you fall and you get up. You fall and you get up and you fall and you get up. That's the way it works. And if you fall and you give up, you're never going to make anything in life. You tried to make a sale and the guy said, no, he hung up the phone on me. Oh my goodness, I'm done. My career is over. No, you pick, get back on the phone and you try to make another sale. You need to have some stubbornness to be successful. 
to, to keep on going. To learn Torah, you need to be stubborn. Never give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on trying and trying and trying like Rabbi Akiva. Even though he was 40 years old, he didn't give up. And he didn't say, well, it's time for me to call it quits. I'm done. Why? Because we never give up. And we are persistent and we're stubborn and we keep on forging ahead. Any opportunity that you want to pursue, you will need stubbornness in order to succeed. A guy told me he ran a very, very big business, a very big real estate business. He told me, he says, do you know who my attorney is? He says, I'll tell you, my attorney for the last 30 years, he said, was this young guy who just got out of college. He just finished law school. And he called me up one day and he says, Mr. So-and-so, I'd like to be your attorney. And he said, who are you? What are you? He said, I just got out of law school and I want to work for you. He says, listen, lose my number. Don't ever call me again. Okay, I'm not looking for games. I'm not looking for, for newbies and starters. And the next day, what happened? He called him again. And he says, look, I told you yesterday. He says, look, I'm not asking for your business. For your, I just want to meet with you. I said, I don't have time for this. And the next day he called him. The next day he called him. He said he finally met with him. And he says 30 years later, he's still his attorney. And every single deal that he does, every single transaction that he performs, every single thing, this is his attorney. Why? Where did it come from? Stubbornness. I'm not going to give up. They say that the best fundraisers are children. Because you ever see a child ask for a lollipop and you say no and they're like, okay, that's fine. I I accept that. No, they'll sit there and make a scene till you give them their lollipop. They're persistent. They're stubborn. That is the good type of stubborn that we need to learn for accomplishing things, for achieving things for getting things done, for greatness. You can't just say, well, I ran into some difficulties, so I gave up. Look at the Michael Jordans of the world and look at the uh, Steve Jobs of the world and look at the Elon Musks of the world. And how many tragedies and difficulties and complications did they run into before they were successful? Now everyone looks, oh, they were so successful. They were always successful. No, you can't forget those challenging times that they overcame with stubbornness. No, I'm going to be on that, on that basketball team. I'm going to be on that football team. I once watched, since yesterday is probably the last game Tom Brady will ever play. So I once watched a, a, uh, a segment that was on pick 199. It was famous that he was the, I think, sixth round pick of the draft. And he was, they selected Tom Brady, the best quarterback in the history of football, who won seven Super Bowls and has five MVPs. And it's like, it's like unbelievable, like every record you can list. Nobody believed in him, but he believed in him. And he was stubborn to push and to push and to push and to not to give up. And when he talks about it, he talks about how nobody believed in him. And people were mocking, ah, number 199, thank you very much. You know, But you look at the people who were on the first round pick and the second round pick and the third round pick, nobody even remembers their names. But it took someone to be a fighter to never give up. That's the good, kind of stubborn, to fight to accomplish and to never give up. But then there's a negative stubborn. There's a negative stubborn. And that is someone who's not ready to listen. Someone who's not ready to hear an opinion that isn't their opinion. Someone who's very arrogant, usually their arrogance lines up very nicely with their stubbornness. 
because their arrogance leads them to believe that they're so great. And if I'm so great, my opinion is the only correct opinion. They're afraid to try something new because they're stubborn. The food that I like is the only food that's good. I'm not going to try new things. They're not going to want to go to new places because they're stubborn that their vacation spot is the only great spot out there. But there's a whole new world to see. And they're unaccepting of others. Someone who's stubborn is unaccepting of others. And we're going to talk throughout the class about tips to remove stubbornness. None of this is about beating ourselves up. It's about thinking about it. Maybe I have a tinge of this, and I'm telling you that this is not for all of you. This is for me. This is my therapy class, okay? This is my muster class that I'm sharing with the world. That the stubbornness that I have within myself can be healed. You know how? I'll just get, I'll give you the end now. If you just leave a little space in your mind that maybe I don't have the full picture, maybe there's another opinion that makes more sense, maybe there's something that I haven't experienced that can enrich my life, maybe just open up to the idea that perhaps, maybe, there's another perspective. Maybe I don't have the full picture. Maybe my full life experience isn't all that full. Maybe I'm missing a few things and someone else can assist. You see, the entire world has their own life life experiences. Each and every one of us, after tonight's class, are going to go back to our own merry way. We're going to live in our own little cocoon, our own little world, our own body, experiencing our own experiences, dealing with our own challenges. But how do we take this with us wherever we go? If we're able to carve out a little place in our brain, in our mind, in our consciousness, maybe that little spot can be filled in by someone else. Maybe that little piece of information I am missing, I don't have, just maybe. So if you look at the definition of stubbornness, it's the unwillingness to hear or accept an opinion different than ours. I'm unwilling. What would be the repair for stubbornness? To be willing. How about to be willing to hear and accept an opinion that is different than ours? We talked about anger last week, and we said, and this is a beautiful segue, of you want to not get angry? Be willing to accept a different opinion. The same thing applies with stubbornness. To be willing to accept that things aren't always my way to be willing to accept that I don't have the full understanding, perhaps. Perhaps my way is not the highway. Maybe there's another perspective here. Not having the ability to adapt or be flexible. This is so crucial in a marriage. This is so crucial in a work environment to be flexible, to be willing to hear another perspective, to be willing to accept, you know what? I've made mistakes. I was just reading yesterday that most successful companies are able to identify the mistakes of their management. If you're not willing to accept and identify the mistakes, I'm always right. You'll never be willing to hear. You'll never be willing to make any change, to correct course. This is the task at hand, to be willing to hear, to be willing to accept, to be willing to be open to the idea, to the possibility, maybe, maybe, oh, maybe I'm wrong. 
maybe I'm blind to a specific thing. When we talked about the mitzvah of giving rebuke and criticism, lovingly, of course, the most important part of that is to recognize that when we want to change, we have to be willing to, to open up our ourselves to the possibility that we're wrong. I don't always see the full picture. I think I do. I want to believe that I see the full picture. When we talked about judging people favorably, it's the same idea. I saw something. I saw that incident. Yeah, but you don't see the full story. You don't know what's going on behind the scene. And most of the time, we don't. Most of the time throughout life, we won't know the full story, even when we think we know all the facts. And there's just one component you may be missing that makes the whole story different. So before we rush to judgment, we also need to be careful not to be stubborn. We all have a limited vision. You know, our eyesight with our periphery vision is about 150 degrees, right? If you take a, a, a look, right? So over here, I see both my hands. Over here, they're both out of my vision, okay? So right over here is about 150 degrees that I'm able to see. Of the 360, I still have 210 that are not in my view, That's the majority of what's going on around me I'm not able to see. About myself. But I think that when I see somebody else, I see the full picture. We see even less. We see even less than 150 degrees. It's so important for us to open up our hearts, to be willing to accept and not be stubborn, not to think that we have the full picture, that we have the full understanding, that we have the full knowledge. It's important for a person to be able to accept and admit a mistake. You know, the virtue of the Jewish people, why are we called Jews? Because of Judah, because of Yehuda. What happened with Yehuda and Tamar? Yehuda and Tamar were together. She became pregnant. Yehuda didn't realize that he was with his former daughter-in-law. And he wanted to execute her until she pulls out the staff, which was his staff. And she says, might you recognize this? And what did he say? Tzadkamimeni. She's right. And he admitted his wrongdoing. He admitted, you know what that means? To stand up and say, I made a mistake. I was wrong. You know what, you know what strength that takes? To admit your wrongdoing? I was wrong. It was an oversight. It was a mistake. I didn't mean to hurt you. It was, it was a selfish move. Right? I was just thinking about myself. I got carried away. Do you know how much love comes into the world when a person accepts upon themselves responsibility for a mistake? The most incredible relationships flourish when one party is willing to accept responsibility for a mistake. But when each side feels I'm right and my way is the only way, you can't have peace. We're called Yehudim. We're called Jews because of Judah, because of this virtue that we inherited to be able to admit our wrongdoing, to not be stubborn. And this comes on the heels of the Jewish people who were a stiff-necked nation, a stiff-necked people. Am Kshayoref where we demanded, oh, we need to have a leader. We don't have Moses. We're going to build a golden calf. We were stubborn. 
again, there's a good stubborn, but then there's a terrible stubborn as well. A stubbornness that harms and does terrible damage and that pulls people apart. Someone who is stubborn cannot accept and hear advice or criticism from anyone else. It doesn't make a difference who they are. They can be the biggest rabbi. They can be the biggest minister. They can be the biggest therapist. They're not willing to hear it from anyone. And sadly, how many relationships are torn apart because both sides aren't willing to accept and take responsibility. Now they say that in every story you hear, there's one side of the story, there's the other side of the story, and then there's the truth. In a, in a marriage, I've had, I've had couples come to me, and I'm not a therapist, and whenever couples come to me, I send them to a therapist. I said, I'm going to listen to you as a friend, as a loving, caring friend. That's it I can do. I, I, I don't... I don't have the magic sauce of marriage therapy. But there are two beautiful people. They come standing, sitting in front of me, and they're yelling and fighting with each other. And this one says, it's 100% her fault. And she says, it's 100% his fault. It's 100% both of their fault. They're right. It's 100% both of their fault. Now, some people will divide it and say, now that's 50-50. No, it's 100% your fault. Take responsibility. Problem is nobody wants to take responsibility. No one wants to break away from that stubbornness. No one wants to forego that honor and say, you know what, I'm I'm 100% wrong. It's 100% me. Take responsibility. Be the Yehuda. Be the Judah. And stand up and say, yes, I'm wrong. And I'll take full responsibility. Because what happens when you take full responsibility? The other side says, you know what? It's not all you. It's also some of me. Then it becomes a 50-50. And then you can have harmony to come together. I say that the, the best marriage is not when they both love, you know, many times young couples, they're all excited and they're all giddy and so excited where they fell in love and I, we like the same type of music and we like going the same type of, you know, we like the same types of activities and we like the same types of books and we like the same. See, so that, that could be a, a recipe for disaster sometimes. If you like different music and you learn to appreciate the other's music. If you like different types of foods and you learn to appreciate the other types of food. You like different types of reading material and you learn to appreciate Learn to open yourself up. What happens is, instead of it being two colliding because we have the same, it becomes a a stronger unit because you're filling in each other's lackings, so to speak. You learn to appreciate and to love and to cherish something that wasn't there before. You create a new bond. The problem is, is that people don't want to change. I've said this about a thousand times here in this class. Marriage is a workshop in character development. If you're not willing to work on yourself, marriage could be a tragic experience. But both sides need to be willing to work on themselves. It's not about just having a fun life together with someone else. It's also that. Or at least it could also be that. But it's about this is a partner that we're going to work together to accomplish greatness in both of us. It's not about I'm the perfect guy and she has to mold her life around me. No. I'm only 50% of the picture. I hope to become 100% together with her and vice versa. Elevating each other. It says that the Torah tells us, Ezer, Kenegdo, a helper, right? Eve was a helper opposite him. Why a helper opposite? Just a helper. What do you need to be opposite? Because there's going to be conflict. There's going to be challenging one another. And it's your choice whether it's going to be, I'll tell you, the, the Talmud says, 
that after the day after someone would get married, the sages would go to the groom. You know, oh, mazel tov, mazel tov, great wedding, beautiful wedding last night, right? And they would go to the to the groom, and they would tell him, matzah or motze? Did you find or did you find? Because the Talmud used, the, the, there are two different verses. One verse says, matzah isha matzah tov. I found a woman, I found good. And the other verse says, I found this woman to be bitter. So which one? Matzah, you found good, or you found bitter? But what's interesting is they didn't ask this. They said this as a statement. They said it as a statement. What type of statement do you say like that? What the sages were telling this new groom it's in your hands. It could be, if you make it, Matzah Isha Matzah Tov, you found the best thing in the world. And if you don't make it, if you don't work hard at it, you find this bitter, more bitter than death. But that doesn't just, it's not like some secret sauce, you just like throw it in and you know, special omen, and it's going to just work out. It takes hard work. And the number one trait that is required to eliminate and to remove from our repertoire is stubbornness. Because someone who's stubborn will never accept change. They'll never accept any shortcomings. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, and that's it. It's my way or the highway. And it's very, very difficult for there to be a happy marriage. Not that you can't live together forever. Very difficult for it to be a happy marriage when there is that stubbornness. Stubbornness is probably one of the worst traits when used in the negative way. Now, if someone is stubborn to attain the love of their partner, to attain the appreciation of their partner, and they keep on pursuing and keep on trying and keep on doing special things for them. That's a good type of stubbornness. To never give up. Every challenging marriage is because someone wants everything their way. The food needs to be my way. This is my food. The music needs to be my way. The design of the house needs to be my way. It's very interesting. My grandfather, right on the get-go of his training for grooms, is like, the house is the wife's domain, okay? okay? That's right away. That's her domain, okay? If she wants to put the clock there, she puts the clock there. And if she wants the, the drapes like this, it's like this. And by the way, my rabbi used to tell us, that you know, young grooms have a very, very difficult day when they're engaged. And it's the day they have to pick out the drapes with their new fiancé. And they're like, well, this type of blue or that type of blue? This green or that green? And he's like, I don't care. Whichever you want, you want. I don't know. What do you think is... is... And you know what my rabbi used to say? He says, you know what your job is? is not to make belief. Go and be interested. That's your job. You know why? Because that's important to her. And most guys will say like, I'm just not interested. Why don't you go with your mom and figure it out together? No, no, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. It's because you have absolutely no interest that you get all of the reward, of the merit of this beautiful relationship that's going to flourish because you take an interest. You say, you know what? Actually, I like that blue or, you know, that one looks better or that one, you, you become interested. Instead, many people like even have, I've seen this, it's, I think, tragic that couples take their own vacations 
She goes with her friends. He goes with his friends. So that way it's like, I think it's a terrible thing. That's not what it's meant to be. That's not what Hashem wants a marriage to be. Hashem wants a marriage to be a beautiful, harmonious, loving, giving, nourishing relationship. That's what it should be. But it can't work with stubbornness. You need to chip away and chisel away every day at stubbornness to realize, you know what? Maybe just a little bit, I may be missing the picture a little bit. Maybe just a little bit. When dealing with more than just our own selves, we must learn to be accepting and flexible of other opinions and ways. Me, myself, I can make my own decisions. But now I'm dealing with someone else. Someone else's opinions I need to take into consideration. In a work environment, it's the same thing. I can run my own company. I'll just do whatever I want to do. And I don't have to think about any, anybody else. Just do what I want to do. Or you build a team. You build other people together by listening to other opinions, accepting other opinions, thinking through how someone else thinks about things. And that builds a beautiful, harmonious friendship and harmony. It strengthens us. It builds us. So we mentioned previously that there's a tinge of arrogance in stubbornness because it's about me, me, me. I'm always right. My opinion is the right opinion. Now, I particularly, something I want to work on is that I'm always very confident that my opinion is, is a good one or the right one. And it's not that I'm not willing to accept, but I might give off the impression to other people that this is the right one or that this is the only right one, particularly my wife probably. And that's something that needs to be adjusted. Maybe don't say it in a in a authoritative tone, but rather in a questioning tone. Maybe there's another opinion. Or maybe there's another opinion that's actually right and you're wrong. Or maybe your opinion is right, but there's more right to it. There's more there's more to it. Again, this is a this is a workshop here. We're here about working and growing and becoming the best possible version of ourselves. So we cannot talk about these traits and just like push it aside. And don't bother me, Rabbi. Or we can bring it up, put it on the table, and chop it up and remove it. I think the latter is much more beneficial. A growing person in Musser, in character development, should always leave room for the possibility that they're wrong. Just leave a little room, something. Maybe I'm wrong. When we have such a strong confidence that we're right, we're not leaving room for growth. For growth, we're not leaving room for other opinions. We're not leaving room for mistakes. And then when it hits us, it's much more painful. We do things as we did when we were children. That's also a stubbornness that needs to break away. How many of us have the same thoughts every year Hanukkah, every year at the Pesach Seder, like we did when we were children? And if anybody does it even slightly differently than the way my family did it, oh, they're doing it wrong. And that's not true. They have their customs. But maybe I haven't left that little place. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should look at the sources. Maybe what my grandparents had as their custom back in Europe is different than what we do today. Not to say that they were wrong, God forbid. But maybe things are different. 
And that's also an area of stubbornness that perhaps, perhaps, oh, perhaps, we need to let go of. You know, we're starting now, we're now 10 weeks in to our Simple Halacha series where every week we do another segment of Jewish Law. It's a podcast now, Living Jewishly. Listen, subscribe, like, of course. We're learning halachas. And there are times where I'm going through the curriculum and I'm writing, preparing these sheets, and I notice, you know what? I may have been doing that wrong. I never even knew that law. Now, there are 613 commandments, and we mentioned previously there are about 613 million laws in Judaism. Yeah, we might not know every single one, and we might not know every single one correctly. But to be willing to learn new things, to be willing to grow and to change, CEOs hire for at great cost coaches, executive coaches, to help them change habits. We get into a certain rhythm, we get into a certain routine, and we believe that that's the right way to go. That could be the right way to go in 1990 or in the 2000s or the 2010s. But now it's 2023. Maybe it's a little bit different. We don't have MySpace anymore. And we have to be willing to make those adjustments. But in our spiritual experience, in our observance, are we willing to examine and look, maybe, oh, maybe, I'm doing something in an incorrect fashion. It's very interesting. Last week's Torah portion, the Midrash tells us that Moshe was supposed to be the recipient of three crowns, the crown of priesthood, the crown of judgment, and the crown of of kingship. And the crown of kahuna, of priesthood, was given to Aaron. Why was it given to Aaron? It was given to Aaron because Moses was stubborn about it. Moses said, I'm going to come back to the Jewish people. After being in Midian for 80 years, I'm coming back, this big hero. I had this revelation of, at the burning bush, and I come back with the whole power structure of the Jewish people on my shoulders. I don't want that. And he pushed and pushed and pushed the Almighty that he give Aaron a part of it. So Aaron got priesthood. And Aaron was the Kohen. And what was the Kohen's job? What was the Kohen's job? The Kohen had a two-week-a-year job. Two weeks. The holidays, he brought offerings. Yom Kippur, that's it. The rest of the year, what was he, what was he doing? What does the Mishnah tell us? What was Aaron doing? Oh, have shalom, varod have shalom. He... Loved peace and he pursued peace. He loved humanity and he brought them closer to the right way, to the right path. It's fascinating. Do you know who mourned for Aaron? You know who mourned after Aaron passed away? The men and the women. Do you know who mourned Moses? Only the men. Moses was the scholar. Moses wasn't going around making peace between husband and wife. Aaron was. He put couples together, brought them together, made them have love between one another. So then when Aaron dies, the men and the women were sad. Look. Here's the peacemaker. The peacemaker is gone. He taught the men and the women, you got to give in. You're both right. But if you want peace, you're going to have to give in. You're going to have to remove some of that stubbornness. So when Aaron dies, 
Both the men and the women mourned him. When Moshe dies, only the men. You look in the verse, you'll see. Very interesting that when Moses was being stubborn with the Almighty, saying, I'm not willing to accept this, he had two two questions of the Almighty. And he pushed and pushed and pushed till God pushed him back and said, enough, enough. And because Moses wasn't willing to accept, even though he was right, but in order to have peace, even if you're right sometimes, even if you're right, you have to sometimes forego your right claim for the sake of peace. In a marriage, you can have both who are 100% right, but you're dead wrong because now there's nothing. You're both right and you're both alone versus you're willing to let go a little. You're willing to not be stubborn. You're willing to open yourself up and say, you know what, I'm right, but I prefer peace, harmony, love, happiness over being right. You know what they say, the difference between adults and children? Children are on the playground. They're fighting. Three minutes later, they're playing again. Adults, they're fighting. Three years later, they're still not talking to each other. You know why? Because children value being happy more than they value being right. And adults sometimes value being right more than they value being happy. So they'll be mad, they'll be disgruntled, they'll be angry, they'll be upset at the other person because you wronged me. While the children, three minutes later, they're back playing together. Because I prefer being happy than being right. How valuable is it to be right? Is it that valuable that we're willing to forego happiness? How much beauty comes to someone's life when they're willing to accept a diverse opinion? When they're willing to accept someone else into their lives? It's not just me. I'm not the only right one. There is a tremendous value, a tremendous virtue, our sages tell us, about someone who's willing to accept when things don't go their way. There's something called Mavir Almidosov. You're right, but you're willing to forego that you're being right. You're willing to forgo for the sake of peace. And the example given in the Talmud is if you're embarrassed publicly, you're humiliated publicly, someone walks into a synagogue and someone says to you, David, and they go on a whole rant about how you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that in front of everybody. And everyone's getting a good good laugh on David's account. And David knows this person might be jealous. This person might be dealing with some other struggle in their life. And he keeps his mouth shut and doesn't say anything. Our sages tell us such a person, they remove all his sins. For what? For what? What did he do already? He just kept his mouth shut. Everyone laughed. Everyone giggled. Everyone was, you know, (laughs) David, yeah. There he is again, right? And now what? Kept his mouth shut. Sages tell us such a person is on the highest level because they didn't answer back. Because they removed that stubbornness. They took the Judah and said, you know what? You're right. Without saying it. Even though they know that the person is wrong. The person doesn't know the real facts. The person is just jealous. 
and we're going to get the jealousy in the, com- in the coming weeks. Notwithstanding that, the power that a person is willing to keep their mouth shut and not answer back, the reward for that is the greatest reward in that all of their sins are forgiven. Someone once came to the rabbi, and he asked the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, I don't know what to do. I was just humiliated publicly. The rabbi's like, what did you say? He said, I said nothing. He says, please, place your hands on my head, the rabbi says, and give me a blessing. Because you are clean of all sin right now. You were forgiven of all your sins because you were because you weren't stubborn, because you were willing to forgo that embarrassment. You were willing to open up that little spot, and make it a little bit bigger. Just accept the most powerful, the most incredible reward. You're forgiven for all sins. It's you almost you want to go out there and say, please, embarrass me publicly. Can someone say something that's uh, not uh, complimentary to me? Like, you know, go uh, walk around. Sure. Anybody want to say anything nasty to me? Please go right ahead. So powerful. The power that we have within ourselves is so great. We're such incredible, powerful creations of the Almighty. We can be so great if we just let go a little. We don't always need to be right. And we can say that, verbalize that. I don't always need to be right. You're right, and you're right, and everyone is right. Everyone is allowed to have their own opinion. As I say, everyone's allowed to have their own wrong opinion. You're familiar, right? And be willing to accept that. It's fine. That's the greatness. We can grow and become such special, even more holy than we ever thought possible by just removing a little bit of this stubbornness. We have it in our genes because that's our fight. There's so much anti-Semitism in the world. It doesn't look like anybody here is concerned about it. Right now, we're coming here to learn Torah. We're not afraid. We're not worried because we're a stubborn people. We're going to fight. There's a a great man in our city who opened up an organization because he saw people putting nasty signs against Jews from a bridge here in Houston. He saw them hanging these signs, and he's like, I'm not going to stand for it. So he created an organization called Bridge Houston. To what? To fight back. That's the power the Jewish people have. We're 0.01% of the world's population. And look at the chutzpah we have to succeed and to fight and to have arguably the most powerful army in the world the most powerful economy in the world. Chutzpah. Sometimes we need to have chutzpah too. But we need to always remember to be humble. You know, if we're already talking about Israel, I'll tell you an incredible story. The Mossad in the Yom Kippur War had an enormous failure of intelligence because they were a little bit arrogant in that the the young members of the Mossad were giving intel, and people were like, eh, the young guys, they're just, you know, alarmists. What do they know? And then you had the tragic Yom Kippur War. Lost a lot of soldiers. And after the Yom Kippur War, they learned from their mistakes, and they said, we were wrong. And they changed their policy. That any intel is real intel. It doesn't make a difference your rank. We were wrong. This ability for us to look at things and admit our wrong, I think even just as a little exercise this week, if you get a chance, 
think of a situation and be willing to admit. You don't have to do it publicly, privately. You know what? I was actually wrong about that. I was so emphatic. I was so stubborn. I was so certain that I was right. I was really wrong. To just be able to say that makes us a Yehuda. The leader of all the tribes. Kingship. We all have that Yehuda within us. That ability to say, you know something? I was wrong. I made a mistake. Because when we're able to admit our mistakes, we only become stronger. Hashem should bless us all. We should have the strength. We should have the wisdom. We should have the clarity to know that we're great people. And great people can sometimes make mistakes. And we can own those mistakes. Because by owning those mistakes, we'll only become better and bigger people. Amen. There is a virtue to taking a stand on things to defend others. I, I've seen great scholars, righteous people, stand up to defend others like you can't imagine. But when it was to defend themselves, they, they would take the humiliation with love. It is very hard, but that's understanding what life is about. I don't have to be right, but I have to be willing to be on the right track. And that takes allowing other people in, allowing a world to, to shape us, so to speak. All right, my dear friends, thank you so much. I look forward to next week already. And uh, hopefully we'll use, utilize this week to re-strengthen and uh, I guess release some of that stubbornness. Have a terrific night, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcast.com.